Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to RUF. So glad you guys are here tonight. My name is Louis Lett. I'm the, I'm the campus minister. RUF is a, as a community that seeks to love God and to love this campus. And so thanks for participating in how we're trying to do that here tonight. Really glad to see you. I know there's a, a lot of demands on your time and a lot of places you could be. So thanks for sharing this time with us tonight. We're continuing our study of Philippians. And we're continuing to ask the question, how do we experience joy? What does that look like in our lives? How, this, this joy, this thing that we spend our lives chasing after, this feeling of fullness and delight and exhilaration and contentment and peace. Uh, but so often our lives don't feel like that. So often our lives feel like tedious disappointment, feel like heartbreak, feel like sorrow, feel like pain. And the good news for us is that in the midst of the darkness of our life, there is a light. And in the midst of our sadness, there is joy. And we have it in Christ. And so we're looking at Philippians tonight, and we'll see that we experience joy as we gain Christ. We experience joy as we gain Christ. So if you have your Bible or your handout or a device, we're looking at Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. It would be great if you could have that in front of you. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? And we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Thank you for a chance to breathe and to stop and to collect ourselves, to remember who you are, and to remember that we're loved. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be at work right now through your word in us, so that we might love you more. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. There is a question that everyone who has ever lived has asked. And, and the question is asked in, in different ways, in different words. But, but the question is, what's the meaning of life? Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is life all about? It, it's such a universal question and such a complex and confusing question that at times it's, it's even been mocked. There's this uh, great Douglas Adams book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's been made into a movie a couple of times, which is really all about this question, what is life all about? Uh, And in this movie, this race of geniuses on another planet decide that they would like to find the answer to 
the question, the ultimate question about life, the universe, and everything. And so they create the most powerful supercomputer ever, whose name is Deep Thought. And they ask Deep Thought, what is the answer to the question? The question, the ultimate question about life, the universe, and everything. And Deep Thought thinks about it and calculates the answer for seven and a half million years. And they come back at the uh, end and they ask Deep Thought, and Deep Thought tells them that the answer to the ultimate question about life, the universe, and everything is 42. <laughs> Which is, of course, a severely disappointing answer. You're disappointed right now. You're, like, waiting for it. Because, of course, it turns out they didn't even know what the question was in the first place. Uh, another great place that I uh, found helpful is the uh, 1982 Arnold Schwarzenegger breakout classic, Conan the Barbarian. Conan uh, it becomes sort of a slave gladiator and is asked by his owner at one point, what is best in life? And he replies, let me read it here, to crush our enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. Let's pray. Uh, now, okay, so both of, these, both of these answers are totally insufficient, right? Both these answers are totally insufficient, right? But we want to know them. We want to know, like, what is the best thing in life? In other words, what is the thing that's going to bring us joy? And, and that's the question that Paul takes up in this section. Of all the things in the world, what's best? Like, what's this all about? What's the thing that's going to bring me joy? And so I want to start by asking you this question. If, if you were to answer honestly, what would you say is the best thing in your life? What would you say is the thing that you look at and you say, if I just had that, then I'd be happy. If I just had that, I would experience joy. Maybe it's a job you're interviewing for. Maybe it's a certain kind of crowd to be accepted in. Maybe it's a perfect relationship with that dream guy or gal. Maybe it's the 4.0 you're chasing. Some kind of reputation of prestige and greatness. Some idea of financial or material success. What, what is that thing that you would say is best in life? But Paul begins this section with this kind of intense warning. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What, he, he's talking about people who have answered this question of what is best in life in the wrong way. And, and in Paul's day, what, what he was experiencing was people, this is... As, as the message of Jesus is spread first to the Jewish people and then is expanding to the Gentile people, you've got these people who have come in to the Gentiles, meaning people who don't, don't have a Jewish background are becoming Christians. And you've got people coming in saying, yeah, if you want to be legit, you have to follow all of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. If you want to be legit, you have to be circumcised, which is this physical sign in the Old Testament of what it means to be a member of God's people. And unless you do that, you, you aren't, really, aren't really living it. You don't really have what's best. And Paul says, uh, like, hey, look at me. Like, if we're talking about religious credentials, if we're talking about worldly achievements, if we're talking about that, like, I'm the best. Like, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm descended from the tribe of Benjamin. When it comes to obeying the law, like, I was a Pharisee. When it comes to knowing the right stuff and the right answers from the Bible, knew them all. When it comes to like zeal and fervor, I was the best. So much so that I, he says he persecuted the church of Jesus. So strong was his zeal for the Jewish religion. He's like, on paper, I'm the perfect Jew. On paper, I'm the perfect religious person. And he says, it's all rubbish. 
It's all trash. It's all junk compared to how great it is to know Jesus. It's all rubbish compared to how great it is to know Jesus. That's why he says in verses 7 and 8, which is really where we're going to focus, he says this, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And the claim is that everything we have and everything we could gain in life, every credential, every achievement, every success, every relationship, everything pales in comparison to how great Jesus is and how great it is to know him. Now, of course, it's not that uh, jobs are pointless. It's not that working hard is evil. It's not that a college degree is dumb. It's just that compared to Jesus, they just don't measure up. They don't even come close. The best thing in life, the truest joy you can have is actually what we gain in Jesus. And so we're going to talk about what that means tonight. What does Paul mean when he says gain Christ? What do we gain? What do we get from Jesus? And tonight we'll see three things we get. We gain Christ's righteousness. We gain Christ's power. And we gain Christ's life. His righteousness, his power, and his life. So first... We gain Christ's righteousness. Uh, Paul says this in verse 9. He says, we have a righteousness that doesn't come from the law, meaning it's not something you earn by keeping the rules and doing everything right, but which comes through faith in Christ. And, And what Paul is talking about is status here. He's talking about our standing before God. Uh, And what the Bible assumes, which we sometimes ignore or gloss over, is that the most important thing about us is our standing before God. That God made us. That we and all the world are his. And as his creations, we are accountable to him for how we live our life. Uh, now, we chafe at this. We don't like this. We don't want to be accountable to somebody else. We want to be free to be who we want to be, right? But the truth is that the most important thing about you is you're standing before God because you are his because he made you. And you're accountable to him for how you live your life. And so the question becomes, how do you achieve like some good standing? How do you become acceptable to God? How do you become right with God? How are you okay with him? And the the clear message of the Bible is that there's nothing that you can do. There's absolutely nothing that you can do but Jesus does everything for you to make you right. The, the reason Paul's talking about this, the, what he's challenging us with is religious conceit. It's spiritual pride. Do you think you're a pretty good person? Why? Do you go to RUF or IV or Young Life? Do you go to church? Do you go to Sunday night worship? Do you read your Bible sometimes? Do you pray before you go to bed? Are you nice to other people? Do you not swear too much or laugh at bad jokes? Do you avoid certain kind of things that other people do? Do you look around at a party and be like, I mean, I'm having a good time, but at least I'm not crazy like those people over there. Do you think you're a pretty good person? Uh, Now, these things that I'm talking about are not bad, right? They're They're good. They're good and true and beautiful, and they're even good for you, and they're good for other people. But the the warning here is against considering that those things affect your standing with God. 
The danger is looking at those things and being proud of yourself, of saying, look at me. Look at all the good stuff I'm doing. Look at the bad stuff I'm avoiding. I'm a pretty good guy. I think I'm doing all right. I think God's proud of me. I think I'm getting a spiritual pat on the back from him. Paul says, look at me. I've got all of it, and it's rubbish. It's actually only Jesus who can make you acceptable to God. It's only Jesus who can make you worthy. It's only Jesus who can give you a good standing. And when we believe in Jesus, when we follow him, what we gain is his righteousness. That means that his perfection, means that his obedience, his standing before the God as the Son is gifted to us. It's bestowed upon us. It's credited to our account. So that now when God sees me and sees you, if you're a Christian, he says, you are good. You are worthy. You are acceptable. But it's not because of anything that we have done. It's because of what Christ has done. This is, this is the Christian doctrine of justification. And it's really, really important because it liberates us. It frees us from trying to impress God with our lives. It frees us from trying to impress other people with how solid we are, how stand-up we are, how nice we are, what a good guy we are, what a solid girl we are. It, it frees us from this desperate attempt we make to try to make ourselves seem okay. The good news is that there's nothing you can do to achieve that, but when you trust Christ, it's all given to you. You are worthy of God's love and affection because of Christ. You are delighted in by God as your Father because of Christ. And so the path of joy comes and we repent of trying to impress and receive this free gift of Christ's righteousness through faith. All we have to do is believe. When we believe, we gain Christ's righteousness. Through faith, we also gain Christ's power. The passage says this in verse, verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What, one of the essential truths of Christianity is that when you put your faith and trust in Christ and try to follow him in your life, you're given the Holy Spirit to abide in you, to dwell in you. This Spirit of God becomes your friend, becomes your companion, is with you all the time. And this is not a token gesture. This is not a symbolic gift. Romans 8 tells us that this is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Which means that the power of the resurrection, the power of victory over death for eternity, is the power that's inside you if you're a Christian. That kind of power is inside you. And, and we're assured of this by God's word, of this kind of power because God knows that we are prone to live in fear. We're actually afraid all the time. What are you afraid of? We're afraid of being a failure. Afraid of being mediocre. Afraid our secrets are going to come to light and everyone's going to know. We're afraid to look foolish and weak. We're afraid to be mediocre. We're afraid we'll never find love. We're afraid we won't get that job. I mean, we're just afraid all the time. We're afraid we won't make it through the week. We're afraid we won't make it through tonight and the paper we have to write when we leave RUF. 
God knows that we are filled with fear, and so he encourages us. He gives us this spirit. And in 2 Timothy, we read that this is a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We've been given a spirit of power. And there's sort of two elements to this power. The first element is the ongoing, never-stopping, never-ending companionship of Jesus that is with us in whatever we are going through. Most of the time, the Bible, there's so many times in the Bible where you read the words, do not be afraid. And what usually comes after is, for I'll be with you. That this spirit of power is with us. That means that in the heartbreak of your life right now, in the confusion and doubts and questions of your life right now, in the unknown and anxiety of your life right now, God is with you. There is the power of his abiding presence and love with you, which means you're not alone. It's a powerful thing to not be alone. The, the, but the second element of this power in our lives has to do with our own capacity for goodness and truth in the world. And, and one of the ways we see this playing out is in the things in our life that we wish we could change. The things about ourselves that we wish we could change. And we have a ton of these, right? Right? We have a ton of things that we wish we could change. Maybe it's the the anxiety we feel each week because of our schoolwork. And even though we got everything done last week and the week before and the week before and the week before, we have a hard time believing we can do it this week and we're just overwhelmed by the stress of it. Maybe it's this cycle and tendency of having way too much to drink or going too far sexually. Maybe it's some kind of secret addiction that nobody knows about. Maybe it's the way you think about food and your body that you just obsess over in your mind. We have all these things in our lives that we wish we could change and and sometimes it just seems really hopeless. And I want to remind you that inside you, if you are a Christian, I know not everybody here is a Christian, inside you, if you are a Christian, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we have to be honest here too because, of course, there are some things in our lives that seem like they take a really, really long time to get better. A really, really long time to see any kind of change. And there are things in your life that you have talked to friends about and prayed about over and over and over again, and week after week, you don't seem to see any movement. God doesn't work on our timing. He doesn't give us any guarantee of when he will, when he will do things. And there's a reality that we won't be made, of course, perfectly whole until Christ returns. But we have to remember what we talked about the very first week of the semester from Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. There is a promise of progress if you're a Christian. It's a promise. It means don't stop fighting. It means don't stop praying because Jesus is at work in you. He has not given up on you even when you give up on yourselves. He has not abandoned you even when you mess up for the hundredth time. Because he gives you his power. So don't stop praying and don't stop fighting. We gain Christ's righteousness and Christ's power. Lastly, tonight, we gain Christ's life. Now, uh, of course it's true that Christ lays down his life for us. He, he gives up his very life and his death on the cross. But we're talking here about something even deeper than that. Or even bigger than that, that Christ does more than give his life for us. He actually shares his life with us. 
He does more than give his life for us. He also shares his life with us. There's an emphasis on this passage on, on knowing Jesus. It's in there a couple of times. Verse 8 talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I think for many of us, the, the tendency when we get to college is to kind of just do whatever we want and just store away this knowledge that we have about what God is like and what he's all about. Like, I'm going to kind of do what I want, but of course I still remember that there's a God and I remember what I've taught and I would certainly say I believe in God like I know about him, but I'm kind of doing whatever I, whatever I want. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience the, the sharing of life with him. There's, there's been a lot of social media posts in the past few days about uh, girls finding out who their sorority big is. They're just the sweetest things ever. And, and it's always about like how this person is like always cares for me and has my back. Or I love being really goofy with this person. Or I love how this person makes me laugh. Or I love doing life together with my with my big, it's all about what it's like to share life together. I, I haven't seen any posts that say, "This is my sorority big." She's a psychology major, sophomore from Atlanta. Her favorite flavor of ice cream is pistachio, and I've really loved learning stuff about her. Hashtag SRAM. Hashtag heart, heart, heart. I haven't, I haven't seen that because it's not fulfilling to learn stuff about someone. It's fulfilling to know them. To experience them, to share life with them. Like that is what is the beautiful thing about life, right? And, and through faith, you actually gain Christ's life. You actually share in life with him. That means that his victories, his wins, his power, his strength, his love, he shares it with you. And it means that when you experience disappointment and failure and heartbreak and discouragement, he experiences it with you. He weeps with you. He's with you. He shares his life with you. And that feeling that you get when you, when you love someone and you know that they love you, like that, that's really the best feeling that there is. We have that with Christ, only the sheer immensity and weight of how much his love is is more powerful than any other force in the universe. And he shares it with us. He gives us his life. We actually get to do life with God, not just know about him. And I want to encourage you to not settle for knowing stuff about God in college. Don't settle for just having that knowledge in the back of your head. Yes, I believe in God. I'll deal with that later. I'm here to have a good time. Don't settle. You can know him. You can dive into the riches of a shared life with him, knowing his love for you knowing that he hears you and he speaks to you. You can have that. All you have to do is dive in. Uh, We're going to end back where we started with this question. What's the best thing in your life? What's that thing that's best? What's that thing that's most valuable to you? I I grew up going to to a summer camp and then working at this summer camp through college and uh, each session of camp we would have a cabin overnight with your cabin so like you and the like the counselor and the six kids I guess it was two sides so two counselors and 12 kids would you'd hike up into the woods on the property and they had these kind of lean to rudimentary you know one one wall missing shelters and you'd hang out and make a fire and cook your food and tell stories and play mafia and then go to sleep outside 
uh, really awesome time, you know, team bonding as a cabin, whatever. Uh, and I remember making pita pizzas for dinner. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing that Iron Club does here, pita pizzas, but it's pretty, pretty simple, okay? You, you, take a, you take some pita bread and you stuff it with tomato sauce and with cheese and with pepperoni, and then you grill it in butter on a camp stove. It's pretty awesome. And, and in that moment, you're out in, the, you're out in the woods, you've made it yourself, you've like worked hard to get there. I mean, it's like the greatest feast there is. I, I got home that summer and I told my parents, I, I want to cook dinner tonight. And so I cooked my family pita pizzas for dinner. And I was pretty proud of myself. And I, and I remember this, remember my dad being like, you know, Lewis, this is like really good. And looking over at my mom like, hey, it's okay. We can get takeout later. You know, not, not that impressed. Okay, now, now fast forward a few years later. I've just graduated from college. It's 2007. And I have this great trip planned to go visit uh, Europe with two of my best buddies from high school. Uh, they went a couple days early. I stayed back. There was this uh, cute blonde who I was chasing after. I wanted to graduate from WNL. And um, <laughs> turned out to be a good move. And um, I, I fly up to Milan to meet, my, to meet my buddies, Patrick and Will. Turns out there are two Milan airports. I didn't know. I flew into the wrong one. And so I, like, get on the bus for the train station. It's a two-hour bus ride into the city. I'm so confused. My flight was already delayed. A two-hour bus ride. I'm supposed to meet them at the train station. This is 2007. This is like early iPhone days. There's no share your location. There's no I can still FaceTime you even though I don't get service. Like I have no contact with them. I don't have a satellite. You needed a satellite phone, which is what it used to be called, a sat phone. And, um, and I'm just panicking, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm exhausted. Been up all night on this flight, which got delayed out of New York. Then I took a two-hour bus ride. I don't speak Italian, and I'm trying to find my friends with no cell phone. I walk around. I'm just circling the, the train station. I finally see my friends, overjoyed, running, embracing. We jump on the train, and we get to Florence because that's where we're going to spend our first night. And, and we get off the train, and we're walking to the city. And you know, I haven't had a real meal since JFK Airport, and I'm just starving. And we go into this cafe, and we order a pizza. And, and I don't remember everything that was on the pizza but I remember the smell of mozzarella and basil and garlic. And I remember the crispy crunchiness of that wafer-thin crust which had been fire-roasted in the oven. And I remember how oily I was on the hands and face from shoving this pizza into my mouth. And I remember looking up at my friends and being like, guys, we're here, we're on this adventure, and this is the best thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. <laughs> now, if you had come up to me in that moment and been like, hey, you want a pita pizza from a camp out? I would say, are you insane? I have the best pizza that's ever been made in front of me right now. I have like pure Italian culture. I have hundreds and hundreds of years, generation of generation of culinary masterpiece coming to an apex on my senses right now. I do not want a pita pizza. Like in Jesus, you have gained the best thing. The richest thing, the most awesome thing, the most righteous thing, the most powerful thing, the most life-giving thing that there is, you, you have gained that in Jesus. And as we make our life with him, as we take advantage of everything around us, his word, our time in prayer, our time with our friends, our time in worship, as we start to experience life with him, he becomes more and more beautiful to us. He becomes more and more valuable to us so that we can, like Paul, look at everything else in our life, the things that distract us, the things that tempt us, and even the good things in our life and say, I don't need that to be joyful.
because I have already got the best thing and is the love of God for me in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us the best thing. Thank you that you have given us the righteousness of God to free us from trying to impress you. Thank you that you have given us the power of the Spirit to liberate us from our fears. Thank you that you have shared your life with us. It is the best thing. I pray that you would help us to see that as more and more valuable, as more and more beautiful, so that we could say everything else is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.